Hey Snappers, today we've got a special treat for you. Snap Judgment Live. And the reason why I got to tell you about this live show is because we're doing a brand new one. This Saturday night in Washington, D.C. If you are anywhere in the Washington, D.C. area, come on out and see the Snap. You're going to dig it. Get tickets right now at snapjudgment.org. That's November 12th in Washington, D.C. at the Harmon Center for the Arts. It's going to be hot. I promise we're going to get down. Snap Judgment. From PRX and NPR, you're listening to Snap Judgment. And friends, we're about to rock it live. I am backstage right now with some of the best storytellers from all over the country, and they're going to bleed onto the microphone. We're calling this one True Confessions. In just a few seconds, a few seconds, we're going out on that stage, San Francisco's broader theater, to that welcoming crowd. And now... You got to understand, this is a true confession show. Stories do mention sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Parental discretion is advised. Here it comes. I was talking to my mama a little while ago, and she said, Glenn, you sure were a good boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was a good boy. You were a good, good boy, but it was them hoodlum friends you used to hang out with. I tried to stop them, my idea. What was that, what was that boy's name? Charlie? Spray paint up to school? Did we say Charlie? Oh, who did that? Yeah, Charlie. Charlie. And which one of them, which one of them lit that fire? Almost burnt up half my neighborhood. Who was, which one of them did that? Them. Which one of them did that? Ooh. Welcome. The Snap Judgment. One of them did that. Mama, that was a long time ago. I can't remember all them white boys' names. <laughs> you know, isn't that right, Alex? Not quite for sure who might have done that, that fire. See, today's episode, today's show, Snap Judgment, we're going to have some storytellers, real people with real jobs. Real people with real jobs. They're gonna come out here today and tell their own stories, true confessions, things they did, secrets they got, stuff they didn't want anybody to know until today. We are so pleased. But this, this Snap Judgment show, this here is storytelling with a beat. What? With a, with a beat? Now, you can have a beat, friends. There is no beat without a band. May I please introduce to you Mr. Alex Mandel and the Snap Judgment, the Snap Judgment players. Uh, woo! DJ, DJ, the android on the ones and twos. Give me something now. 
Now, we are so very pleased. I am thrilled to bring our first storyteller out here today. See, our first storyteller tonight is an artiste. An artiste gives love, and I want to be sure that she can give some love back to her. Are you going to give some love back to her? Uh, I hope you do. Oakland, two-time Grand Slam poetry champion, a dear friend of mine. Put your hands together for Miss Joyce Lee. So what had happened was... I was looking for love or something real close to it when I met Damien. We caught eyes at a mutual friend's birthday party and he was fine. Damien stood about six foot three, eyes green, shaved clean with muscles all in between, so we talked a bit. I felt comfortable giving him my number by the end of the night. A week later, we went out on dates and Damien was a perfect gentlemen. He would bring me flowers, surprise dinners, take me to places I'd never seen in the city. Did I mention he was fine? Until one night I had to perform poetry at a gentleman's club in San Francisco. Now because it's a gentleman's club and I like for my attire to match my atmosphere, I was dressed like a hoe. And being the awesome girlfriend that I am, I invited Damien to join me. But I told him that I had some things to do early in the morning so he would have to take me straight home after the poetry event. He said, okay. But afterwards, he wanted to take me to this dance club just for a second, he said, just for a second. So we went to the dance club. And I waited and waited and waited. But about 2 a.m., I'm starting to fume. And just when I turned to give him this you know we need to hurry up and go look. This joker did a line of cocaine right in front of me. I got up from my seat. I was like, uh-uh, you're doing cocaine. I'm leaving right now. We get in the car and we are arguing. We're arguing through the city, over the bridge. Every time I complete the argument by saying it don't matter, honey, we're done. He starts the argument all over again, but the bickering stops when we get blurped by a cop car. Damien pulls over. The cops run his license, and before I can get a hold of what really is going on in the situation, he's handcuffed and sitting in the back of a cop car. I am still in the front of the car, hands up, scared to death, and dressed like a hoe. <laughs> Did I mention that it's 4 o'clock in the morning by now, and we are in Oakland? <laughs> by this time, there are seven cops. The one that wasn't white comes to my side of the car and motions for me to roll down my window. And he whispers, slowly get out of the car and stand next to me. I'm afraid, but I don't know who else to trust in the situation. So I do what he tells me to do. The other cops start searching Damien's car. I ask the cop, am I in trouble? He says, I don't know. And I told him, listen, I'm, I'm freezing cold. And he takes a long look at my whole tire. And he says, well, I got the heater on in the back of my patrol car if you want to sit there. I said, no, thank you. So at this time, the cops are done searching Damien's car and have collected about 16 protein shake containers from Damien's car. I've personally seen him scoop out powders and make shakes from these containers. So when I saw him in the car, I was thinking, maybe the brother likes to recycle. A cop opens a protein container and pulls out about eight ounces of marijuana. I gasp. He opens up another container, pulls out bags and bags of cocaine. I gasp. Another. Pills. Pills. Marijuana. Coke. Pills. At this time, my gasp have turned into a full-fledged hyperventilating panic attack. I am sitting on the concrete with one hand over my heart and the other over my mouth until the cops stop flashing the lights on the drugs and flash them on me. The cop next to me grabs me 
And he says, I'm assuming you do not know this gentleman. I said, apparently I don't. (laughs) He said, be honest. Did you know all those drugs were in the car? And I said, hell no, sir. After signing a sworn statement, I asked the cop, may I please talk to this jackass that I do not know? (laughs) So he takes me over to the car. They got to roll down the window for Damien's pathetic ass. So he looking at me, and I'm giving him a look like... And then he starts explaining, um, well, you know, baby, I, I really heard what you were saying in the car, and, uh, I'm gonna really change. I said, you know what, Damien, this is not the time to be making promises to me. And he was like, well, uh, sweetie, could you do me a favor, and, uh, could you call my mama? I said, I don't, I don't know her. I'm not calling. No, I don't know her. Well, could you call, call my cousin? I, I said, no, I don't know her either. He said, well, uh, damn, baby. Can you do me a favor and uh, can you call my wife? I grinned. I took down his wife's number. And when the cops took Damien to jail and the sweet cop took me home in the backseat of his heated car, I called his wife and we had dinner. I held her hand throughout the divorce and we are still friends today. That is my true confession. One of our favorites, that was Joyce Lee. Stay tuned. We've got some of the best storytellers with the best stories ready to share them with you. This is Snap Judgment Live. True Confessions. Back in a minute. You like it, don't you? You like Snap Live? I know you do. And if you do, and you're in the Washington, D.C. area, be sure to get tickets for Snap Judgment November 12th. We're trying to get the snappers there. Look, it's going to be, if, if you don't get there, somebody else is going to get there for you. We want the true snappers, only the true snappers to be there. Snapjudgment.org. Welcome back to Snap Judgment, the live show. San Francisco's Brava Theater. Real people with real stories about what they done did. And some of these stories, wow, they might not just be appropriate for the youngsters, the real youngsters. Parental discretion is advised. Snap Judgment. All right, gentlemen. It's time for you to hold with that woman next to you close. About to bring out one of the best-looking guys you have yet to meet. <laughs> go special. <laughs> I go special for mine out there. I don't know. Don't be looking too close. May I introduce to you, Mr. Errol Dolan? first time I laid down with a prostitute is in Tokyo, Japan. I'm 19 and she's purchased as a gift to me, a gift from my father. I think the old man always wanted this miniature replica of himself as a son. My father and his father before were strong, charismatic figures. I seen this picture of my grandfather when he was younger, in the 1950s. He's dining in Venice on white tabletop linens, surrounded by men dressed in tuxedos serving him his afternoon tea. It looked like something out of The Godfather. My father was born into the upper crust of Istanbul. And in a country where the divide between the rich and the poor is as thin as a slice of free pie, it was the equivalent of winning the lottery at birth. His youth was spent inside French boarding schools where he carved out his own legend playing soccer and water polo at junior Olympic levels. When I was younger, before he and my mom split, I remember tagging along to watch him play soccer with the other Turkish men. They all immigrated to Houston and found each other again on the pitch. Every Sunday, they relived their youth. I watched as the new Americans played fiercely, competed hard, 
but always with a smile on their face. At the half, the men would gather around my father as he smoked cigarettes and shared funny stories. He was talking about women that were not my mother. And as he spoke, the men's eyes never left his face. My father was a leader of men, like a Turkish Steve McQueen. Growing up, I felt more like a Turkish Steve Buscemi. I was shy and awkward as hell. My father saw it. Hell, everybody saw it. I was practically glowing. And I think he maybe resented me for it. But don't get me wrong. My father's not this two-dimensional cartoon character of an alpha male. Nobody's that simple. Supporting my own dream of, of performing, even after graduating college and law school, that's the greatest gift a boy could ask from his father. Still... I always felt this faint disappointment lingering in the background. There's a Turkish word I heard growing up, and it might be my least favorite word in the entire lexicon of the human language. Zayif. It means weak, empty, emaciated, little, ugly, good for nothing, unsuccessful, timid, shy. Or maybe it just means weak. And the rest is what I felt when my father used that word to describe me. I'm visiting him in Tokyo. We're having dinner with his clients inside a restaurant the size of a small studio apartment. I look over in the corner and see a peppered-haired man flanked by two Japanese women. I begin to get a primer on the social rules of prostitution from one of his Japanese co-workers. Conversation creeps across the table until my father gets wind of it. He grins like a Cheshire cat. A couple of bottles of sake later, I'm all alone with my own Japanese prostitute. I wake up the next morning on my father's couch with my eyes shut. He's talking on the telephone. Neguza, <laughs> neguza, yeah. <laughs> I can still feel the sting from those few words. What hurt most? My father thought I was a virgin up until last night. I wasn't. I can't say that's the last time I laid down with a prostitute either. The hookers, they're markers in time that remind me that I'm both human and an animal. Moscow, my 24th birthday. I'm visiting an uncle who may or may not be in the Turkish mafia. I follow him through a maze of back alleys until we come to a mystery door bathed in red light. The girls walk softly and sensually like cats begging for affection. One of the lean, lanky girls whispers in my ear in a thick Russian accent, Your neck is so pretty, so long and pretty. Before I know it, I'm lying down naked with an ashtray on my chest as we share a cigarette. I begin to repeat one by one every Russian word I know, and it sends her to the moon with laughter. Dasvedanyo! Dobriden! Menya zavut ero! The more she giggles, the more I laugh and laugh and laugh. Until I remember my girl back home. Her long brown hair flowing like a wild river. Almond-shaped eyes, blue as a glacier lake. The way her skinny arms rolled off her shoulders like they were falling off a sharp cliff. We've been dating a year already, and in a couple of years, she'll be my fiance. A little after that, she'll be somebody else's. She gave this to me before I left on my trip. I joked that she should cut off one of her pigtails and give it to me for luck while I'm in Russia. It was a pimp line, but I stole it off Willow.
She wrapped her skinny arms around my waist and distracted me with a single soft kiss. Slipped it right into my coat pocket. It's the sweetest gift I ever received. And sometimes, some days, I wish she never even gave it to me. Tonight, with this Russian prostitute, tonight is the first night I ever betrayed someone I love. Tonight, I look into the mirror. Tonight, I see for the first time I have my father's eyes. stories so far, huh? Yeah. Don't worry. Don't you worry. We're not done. What we're doing now is a tape change. We're going to change the tapes and the cameras. I assume no one's explained it to me, but that's what it's called. I can only deduce. Give it up for the band, everybody. They're doing great. Huh? They're doing great. Doing great. Is everybody excited about the Giants World Series? Everybody? Everybody? Giants fever. Who has Giants fever? I have a kidney infection, but I, don't, I can't pay the copay. So I'm calling it Giants fever, everybody. It's Giants fever. I'm happy to be here on the set of the musical Cats again. <laughs> this is public radio money, everybody. This isn't Clear Channel. This is what we get. You didn't donate enough in the last pledge drive. You could have gotten a tote bag and a better set, but you didn't donate enough. So this is on you. All right? I had a good lunch today. I had a bowl of SpaghettiOs for lunch. I don't always eat, I, you know, I try, I try and eat better sometimes. Like I was, uh, I was in Japan uh, a while ago and I ate Kobe beef, real Kobe beef. It's delicious. If you don't know what it is, it's like this delicious beef. It comes from these cows that are treated real humanely, fed real well, massaged every day. And while I'm eating it, my friend decides to turn to me and say, oh Dave, you know, it tastes so good because the cows are happier. And I'm like, that is the evilest thing I've ever heard, like, what evil king is sitting here on his throne somewhere, like, I want my dinner. Bring me the cow that had a family. Oh, I can taste the hopes and dreams, yeah. Ooh, it's making me stronger. It's just weird. It's like, it's just weird, because I'm used to eating at McDonald's in America. That's where my beef normally comes from, and they don't, they don't do that. Their, their cows are just, like, waterboarded and stuff. Like, they don't care what happens to their cows. McDonald's come out with a commercial where they're like, we marinate our beef in the cow's own tears. Ba-da-da-da-da! <laughs> it does bother me when people are insensitive, though. Like, I don't like it when people are rude towards homosexuals, all right? I have a friend, I have lots of friends who are gay. My sister's a lesbian. I don't like when people are rude towards homosexuals. But I heard this phrase the other day when I said that, and somebody said, oh, Dave, you know, God made Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. And I'm like, all right, well, she laughed, but it's not funny. I don't, I don't like that, right? <laughs> I just don't like that because that's a stupid argument because that presumes that I believe in Adam and Eve, which I don't. I believe in dinosaurs. Big gay dinosaurs. <laughs> it bothers me people are rude towards homosexuals. Like I have a friend who's gay and his dad's in denial about it, right? And whenever he talks about his son, he's always like, oh, he's not gay, he's just confused. And that doesn't even make sense to me, you know? It doesn't even make sense. No one's ever given me like a riddle or a difficult math problem. And my only response was, well, I think I know what would help this situation. I think I have a hypothesis, but bam. It's, uh, I'm turning 24 and it's weird because like I'm getting to this age where some of my friends that I uh, went to high school with are starting to have kids. And they'll, and, you know, they'll talk to me about their kids. I don't want kids right now at this point in my life. Like I'm not ready for that. But they'll try and pitch me on why it's great for them to have kids. They'll try and pitch me on it. Even the ones that I know it was a mistake for. They'll be like, oh, Dave, you know, this baby, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. And I'm like, well, dude, that's my whole point, all right? 
if you had waited, better would have happened to you. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. You didn't give it a chance, did you? I'm gonna be able to look at my baby and go, I've done better. I've done better than this. Doesn't really matter how this turns out, because I've done better. I'm gonna be a good father, I'm just gonna know. I'm just gonna know that. That's my goal. But they'll, they'll try and convince me, my friends will try and convince me uh, why it was a good idea to have kids, you know? They'll try and convince me, they'll be like, Dave, you don't understand, you know, once you have a baby, it's just different. Once you see it, once you're holding it in your arms, you just look at it and you go, oh, it's the miracle of life. The miracle of life. It's like, that's not a miracle, all right? Sperm plus egg equals baby. That's science. That's what happens, all right? I've had sex without a condom where she wasn't on the pill and she still wasn't pregnant, and that is a miracle, all right? <laughs> that's just the hand of God coming down and being like, oh, got it. Don't worry, Dave. <laughs> Doves and rainbows. <laughs> and free time, all the free time you still have. All right, thank you all very much. I've been Dave Thomason. Thank you. Hey. Our next performer, next guest here tonight, her great-great-great-grandmother was the last person in Scotland burned at the stake for being a witch. They tried to kill the magic. They tried to stamp it out. They couldn't do it. They couldn't stamp it out. It's still here. Ran through that bloodline, and I am so proud, so happy to introduce to you today Miss Catherine McEwen. When I first moved to America, I realized pretty quickly that I could fool everyone into thinking that I'd grown up like the queen. <laughs> now, when people meet me, they want to believe that my life back in England had been like living on the set of sense and sensibility. <laughs> when in reality, where I grew up looked more like the set of The Wire. Now, the person responsible for this illusion is my mother. Raising five kids in a two-and-a-half-bedroom house next door to a gas station in a town voted worst place to live in the UK four years in a row, it's difficult at the best of times. But raising those five girls so that someday they might grow up and fool people into thinking that they were the queen, that is a monumental task. Now, the first obstacle that she faced was the issue of schooling. She obviously couldn't afford private schools, and she certainly wasn't going to send us to the local state schools. No, no, no. So there was only one option left available to her. She taught us herself at home. This, frankly, shocked and offended the community. Oh! So our schools aren't good enough for your kids then, Mrs. McEwen. You think your kids are too bleeding good for our schools, do ya? Frankly, my dear, yes, I do. Now, one of the primary functions of a good British private school is to grind that regional accent out of you. This task my mother also took upon herself, so we developed two accents. We had one for inside. Hello, mummy. Anything I can do to help with dinner? And then one for out on the street. All right, our lass. What the hell are you looking at? You're looking at me, you're chewing a brick. Either way, you'll lose your teeth. You see, speaking posh in my neighborhood didn't go down so well. Oh, just look at you. Who the hell do you think you are? You think you're so good, don't you? Get off your high horse. 
Get on our high horse, we did, with my mother dragging us, kicking and screaming behind her. You see, back then, I really didn't appreciate quite what my mother was doing for me. I hated being an outcast. I mean, I tried everything I could to fit in. I started smoking at 12. I couldn't wait to start smoking. It wasn't a question of if, it was a question of when. When the hell was someone going to offer me a bloody cigarette? But I'd barely lit that thing up. I mean, I hadn't even, like, exhaled my first puff. And the word got back to my mother. Hey, 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 Mrs. McEwen, we saw your daughter smoking. Not so good now, are you? Maybe if you'd sent her to school, maybe she wouldn't be smoking. You ever think of that? At 15, I was caught shoplifting. At 17, I was arrested for drunk and disorderly, and by 18, I'd had 12 tattoos. But it didn't work. They weren't going to accept me because they could sniff me out as a fake. The same way that proper posh people in England, they see through all this, and they know I'm really as common as muck. So it wasn't until I moved here, America, the land of the free, that it really hit home just what my mother had given me. You see, I'd received a letter from my best friend from back home, the one I'd gone shoplifting with, smoked my first cigarette with, got my first tattoo with, and she was writing to me from her little council flat, telling me all about her three kids that she had by three different dads, and how this time she was going to kick out that lying, cheating, violent, abusive boyfriend once and for all, and get clean and sober, and maybe even get it together and join me out here in the U.S. of A. And by the way, did your mother sell the house? My mother had sold a house. A few years ago, she finally saved up enough money, and now it was her turn to fly the nest. She moved to the south of France, bought herself a nice big house in the country. And last time I visited her, I saw she was doing a pretty good job of fooling everyone into thinking that she had also grown up just like the Queen. Just a few moments. Snap Judgment live. Be right back. Welcome back to Snap Judgment. This is the live show. This is Snap Judgment Live. And if you want Snap Judgment Live to come to your town, well, let somebody know. On the Facebook, the Twitter, we respond, friends. We hear what you're saying. Snap Judgment Live, traveling all around the country. We might even come to your town. We return to the show right now, already in progress. Most people straddle their own little world. Now, Our next guest, she does the high and the low, the CFO, the NBA, the ABC. And then every once in a while, she comes in the trenches down in the gutter with us players and and thieves. Would you please put your hands together? A warm snap judgment welcome from Miss Annika Annika. 
Annika Jong. When I graduated from college, I took a job as a management consultant. This is a very serious job. I'm talking like buttoned up professional, long hours at the office, on the road, Monday through Friday, every single week. Like, you know all those jerks at the airport with like the suits and the roller bags and the blackberries? That was me. And, and maybe unsurprisingly, this, this wasn't a very fun job, but it did have one perk. I got to keep all of my hotel points and airline miles. Turned out to be a pretty good gig, right? Because I would walk into the hotel and they'd greet me by name. Then they'd upgrade my room and they'd send up a fruit plate and a bottle of wine from the manager. So I'm thinking, life was pretty good. I'm cruising around in my power suit. I'm going to meetings, I'm making synergies, and the whole time I'm living this grown-up lifestyle, I'm thinking no one is gonna find out my secret. I was just a kid. I mean, I was barely old enough to drink the wine they were sending up to my room. I had no business flying first class, let alone giving managerial advice to executives. So I was a little self-conscious. And outside of the privacy of my own hotel room, I was really trying to be mature. So, one night, after a long day of work, I was so ready to shed that rigid business suit. I got back to my hotel room, I put down my briefcase, kicked off my heels, and just breathed a huge sigh of relief. Then I changed into my sparkle snowflake jammy pants and my unicorn t-shirt and tucked myself into bed. It wasn't until I went to turn off the light that I realized something is missing. Where's my bear? Now, for those of you who don't know me, I still sleep with a stuffed bear. I don't, I don't want to see your judgmental badger faces. I know, everybody's got their thing. Mine just happens to be the bear, okay? So, so the bear's missing, uh, but at first I'm trying to play it cool, right? I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm sure he's here. Uh, so I, I check behind the pillows and, and in the sheets and, and then under the bed and, and then in my suitcase and in the dresser drawers and behind the curtains and in the cushions and in the bathtub and pretty soon I have exhausted the, the in-room possibilities and two facts become clear. One, the bear is not in the room. Two, I'm about to make a very embarrassing phone call to the front desk. So I call down, the concierge tells me, yes ma'am, we'll find him right away. But when I hang up with him, I'm still freaking out. In fact, now I'm pacing around the room. I'm thinking, where could he have gone? He couldn't have gotten far on foot. What am I supposed to do now? I guess I'll call my mom, wake her up in the middle of the night. So I do, but she does very little to calm me down. In fact, she tells me I'm gonna need to find him before housekeeping puts him through the ironing machine which I'm thinking is like a medieval torture device for stuffed animals, and now I am fully panicked. I decide I've just gotta march down there and get them myself, so I tear out of the room, still in my jammies, because I'm a woman on a mission. I don't have time to change my clothes. So I'm in the elevator, I'm trying to collect myself. Elevator's going down, doors open. The lobby is full, okay? It is like the middle of the night, but some red eye has just landed and it's full of the suits and the roller bags and the blackberries and I'm standing there in my jammy jams. It's great. Uh, but, but I make a beeline for the front desk, right? And, and he's already whipping out the walkie-talkie to issue the APB and he's like, attention hotel staff, one of our platinum level guests is missing a bear. And I gotta tell you, the best part is that this Amber Alert is going out to all the walkie-talkies strapped to every employee in the hotel, right? So it's like reverberating in surround sound throughout the lobby. And, and then he's giving a description. He's like, it is a white stuffed bear. It, is it a polar bear? It's a polar bear. It's a polar bear. And I'm just like humiliated and distressed and everyone's laughing. And then suddenly a scowling member of the housekeeping staff emerges and she's got my bear but she's carrying him upside down by the leg like he's a dirty sock. Her arm is extended as though the immaturity of a stuffed animal is somehow contagious. 
she kind of surveys the occupants of the lobby, walks up to me and asks, ma'am, is this yours? And I'm like, is it that obvious? But honestly, I'm just so excited to be reunited with my bear that I hug her and I hug the concierge and I go back to the elevator where there's this nice suited gentleman holding the door for me. And he sort of chuckles. Well, little lady, it seems like you've had a big night. And I just look down at my socks and my unicorn t-shirt and this ratty looking bear under my arm. I don't even make eye contact. I just say, I, sir, I'm on a business trip. Thank you. I was hating life. Hating it. Hated my job hating the suburbs, and I get to the point where I was hating the weekend. My buddies, Ray and the crew, we go to the same places every weekend, meet the same girls, get dissed by them, and have to go right on back home. I was hating it. I was hating I was telling them, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. I am not going to these sorry clubs. Where are you going? I'm going to Detroit. Hey, man, we don't go to Detroit. Detroit's scary. We don't do that sort of thing. I'm going to Detroit, fools. I got new clubs opening up, and I'm going. They're like, we ain't going with you. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. No, we ain't. Tell you what. We go to this club tonight. I'll go to your club tomorrow. They say, okay, cool. It's going to suck, but we'll try. So I had to you know, act like I knew what I was doing. Going into Detroit City from the suburbs, all right? Follow me, because I know what's up. Yeah, so we're going. Pass by the club, it's called Parabox. That's all right. Come on, come on. Go up to the, go up to the bouncer, big man. How you doing? Five dollars, not bad. Five dollars. Well, open up the door. Salsa. Left, right, spinning, beautiful women. I couldn't believe it, dude. Hair slicked back, pants. I was like, whoa, baby, whoa, what is going on up in here? I was getting nowhere near the dance floor. I just stayed there watching. Looking stupid. Finally, finally, all of us were like, all right, we got to go, man. Come on, we gotta go on home. Yeah, I went on home, got back in the bed. You know. Next morning, I got that phone call. It's Ray, man. We got lessons in a half an hour. Get your butt out of bed. Get to class, right? And it's this beautiful teacher. And she's like, salsa has eight steps. Eight, all right? Trying to get that thing. Five, six, seven, eight. Now, who the race? Can't do this. I'm trying to, who the race? Trying to, trying the best I can. It's hard for the brother sometimes. She said, no, no, stop it, stop, stop everything. Stop this. Stop what you are doing. See, we're going to have a a DVD, national distribution. I need four male dancers. And Glenn, I don't think you're going to be one of them. (laughs) Come on now, I got to get my practice on first, right? So I I want to be one of them dancers. I'm going to practice, I'm going to get it right. So I was practicing in the morning, brushing my teeth, trying to get that eight steps going on. Heck, she eight, seven. I was trying to get it. I couldn't quite get it and be at work trying to get my dance on. Then one day, I got home. I just got some time to practice. I'm going to go back here behind the place, 
see if I can get it going. There's a little park behind my apartment. So I went back there, just trying to get it, you know, with nobody looking at me. I was just by myself. I just finished up when, when a cop car pulls up. Excuse me. What is it you're doing back here? Officer, I'm just, uh, just dancing. I'm going to need you to go on ahead and get in your car, not move. Stay there, please. I get in the car. Another cop car pulls up. Another one. Five. Seven. Eight. Cop cars. And you know, I got things to do. I'm not a criminal. Come on, man. Hey, hey. Uh, excuse me, officers. I got things to do. Y'all help me out here. What's going on? Nothing. I wait. I wait. 45, 55 minutes. I'm getting... Come on, come on, come on. Officers. Finally. Finally. In typical, experienced, black male fashion, I put both arms outside of the car. I got nothing in my hands. I have nothing. I just want to talk to somebody, please. Can someone please talk to me? I just, I need to go about my business. Just gonna, I'm going to open the door from the outside. I'm going to open the door now, officers. Click. Swarm. Swarm. I was drugged out of the car. Car slammed on, slammed on the hood. You're going to jail. What? To jail? What for? Disorderly. Come on. You're going to jail. Watch your head. Watch your head. I'm like, oh, man, this is some nonsense. They take me, they put me up in the jail. And, uh, you know, I, I get kind of claustrophobic, people do when they get in jail. And I, I'm starting to have, like, some kind of a panic attack. I'm wondering what's going on. And this officer, he comes up. He comes up and he's like, hey, 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 hey. Are you the one here on the DWB, the DWB? Well, what's that? The dancing while black? <laughs> I was like, yeah, 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 I think that's me. He's like, whoa, that's, that's a tough break, brother. He takes on back down the way. Hey, man, help, help me. Help me. No help. And like I said, I'm having that panic attack. I'm trying to call my roommates. Nobody's picking up the phone. And my mind, I'm just, get it together, brother. Get it together. I need to concentrate on something. I need to concentrate so I was like, all right, I'm going to do my little dance, right? My little dance on. So I started trying to get them steps, eight, nine, whatever he was talking about, 20. And certainly kind of, kind of occurred to me, it's not eight steps, it's three. It's more like a, a one, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. It's a quick, quick, slow. A quick, quick, slow. Quick, quick, slow. Woo! Quick, quick, slow. Quick, quick, slow. Ah! Quick, slow. Ah! Woo! I'm dancing, baby. Woo! Woo! Yeah! Uh. No, no, no. Stop, 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 stop it. Stop it. Stop it. What is it you think you're doing in my jail cell? Warden all talking to me. I'm like... What you gonna do? Put me in jail? <laughs> one, two, three. One, two, three. Oh, one, two, three. Yep. Get my little thing on. Finally, 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 I got a hold of my roommates. Get all the white people we know with some money and come get me up out of this jail. They did. They had to laugh first. Ha, 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 ha. They could see me back there. Very funny. Pay the man. Pay him his money. So, I'm out. I went to class the next day. I went to class, yeah. And the teacher, she was like, Glenn. Glenn. Where did you learn to dance? And... You know, I'm like, I knew, I knew she liked them hardcore brothers. So I told her the truth. 
I learned how to dance in jail. One, two, three. This here is a snap judgment presentation. Snap judgment. Have you met? Can I introduce you to Mr. Alex Mandel? David Brandt on the sticks. Tim Frick kneeling down the base. DJ. DJ the Android. True confessions. Snap judgment from N to the R. No, 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 no. N to the P to the R. NPR. to Snap Judgment Live. Snap Judgment Live, True Confessions, and we are so thrilled, so proud of Jeanette Aguilar, who helped us produce this special show with Will Urbina, Rita Daniels, Stephanie Fu, Anna Sussman, Joe Golding, and Jeremy Black. Mark Ristich, my partner, my buddy over there, Mark Ristich, executive producer, and myself would like to thank everybody else. You might not know this, but this was being filmed to be a TV show. Coming soon to your television on World TV. Stay tuned, look out for it, it's gonna be hot. We'd like to thank everybody involved, the technical production crew, makeup, y'all were just amazing. We appreciate it. Many thanks, of course, to the Corporation for Public Broadcasting, the Brava Theater where it all went down, PRX, the Public Radio Exchange. And even though, this is not the news. This is certainly not the news. We don't know anything about the news. Don't bother us with the news. This is NPR. That was Snap Live, ladies and gentlemen. Snap Live. And as you already know, if you are in the Washington, D.C. area, come and join us. It's going to be a hot show, I promise you. Kate Ascot Evans is going to join us. Joshua Walters is going to be there. All news stories is going to be hot. Get your tickets now. Snapjudgment.org. Hope to see you there. Peace out.